my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon, whatever it is for you. I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports, episode 292. I hope you're doing well. I want to make one thing clear right off the bat. I'm recording this about 30 minutes before Monday Night Football starts. It's Monday night, well, early Monday evening, I guess. And uh, so I want to just be clear. We're not going to talk about whatever happens between the Saints and the Chargers tonight. Uh, We'll talk about that on the next episode. So I apologize if you came looking for that. Uh, A lot of good stuff, though. It was a crazy, busy weekend. I also want to say I'm getting really tired of getting called a Justin Herbert hater. Uh, If you go watch my prediction video, I put it out a couple days ago for NFL Week 5. I said I think Justin Herbert's going to have a great game on Monday. I want to echo that again here. We'll see what happens when I watch the game after this. But I I think Justin Herbert's going to tear up the Saints' defense, and uh, it'll be fun to watch. Now... I want to start today by, first of all, actually, I'm going to say this. We're going to talk about Dan Quinn getting fired today. We're going to talk about LeBron winning another championship. We'll talk about F1 at the very end, buried, so you can skip it if you want. We're going to talk about the Red River Showdown, Texas, Oklahoma. Uh, Dak Prescott got injured. That's coming up next. I want to start, though, by talking about Washington. And let me drink some pineapple juice first, but I have an important thing I want to say. I want to start by... I want to start by introducing two new phrases, relationship math and quarterback math. And relationship math is going to help make quarterback math easier to understand. So when you're looking for a relationship, you look for certain qualities and certain things. And we put the things we value into an equation. And then when I do the math, I come up with the things that are important to me. When I do relationship math, I come up with a certain thing I want. And when you do relationship math, you do it differently. You value other things that are different than you than I do. And your relationship math gives you a different answer than I do, than I come up with. If that makes sense, right? You're looking for a different person than I'm looking for. That totally makes sense to me. And everybody is looking for the right answer for themselves. We all have certain things we're looking for in a relationship. They're often different than, than other people. And that leads me to quarterback math because... Every coach is looking for something different in a quarterback. They do quarterback math, and the answer they come up with is different than somebody else. Let's compare Ron Rivera, the head coach in Washington, to Sean McVay, the head coach of the L.A. Rams. Sean McVay is an offensive-minded head coach. He designed the Rams' offense. He calls the plays. His focus is on offense. He's a nerd. He's also incredibly smart, but he's artful. The way he designs an offense that scores a lot of points, uh, it's pretty, it's flashy, and his way, his idea of how to win a football game is score points. He wants to run an offense that scores a lot of points, and his focus is on offense. And a coach like Sean McVay, and in fact, Sean McVay didn't himself, he did not mind taking on a young, struggling quarterback, Jared Goff, because Sean McVay knows, hey, I'm an offensive coach, I have confidence in my coaching ability, I can teach that guy how to play quarterback. And Sean McVay taught Jared Goff how to play quarterback. Jared Goff is way better than he was initially in the NFL, and uh, they have a great partnership and a great relationship. Now, Ron Rivera is a defensive-minded head coach. And a defensive-minded head coach looks at football differently than an offensive-minded coach. They believe defense is how you win games. And nothing irritates a defensive-minded head coach more 
than a quarterback who has turnovers. And let me tell you, I've played for defensive-minded coaches. I totally know exactly how this relationship goes. When you're a defensive-minded coach, you're trying to play defense. And when a quarterback keeps giving the ball to the other team, it's incredibly frustrating. It's a different perspective. You know, Sean McVay wants a sports car at quarterback, whereas Ron Rivera just wants a reliable pickup that he can trust. And also think about this right now. Ron Rivera, this very moment, is battling cancer. And when you go through a personal crisis, you become less tolerant of nonsense. There are things you're not going to put up with. I'll tell you this. Uh, four years ago, my younger brother took his life. And when you struggle with a personal crisis, bam, everything changes. You very quickly learn what's important to you. You're not going to waste time with nonsense. You value your time differently. There's no more screwing around. You start to realize, I value this a lot, and I'm not dealing with that nonsense. So when, when Ron, uh, what am I saying? When Ron Rivera does quarterback math, his quarterback math, he comes up with a different answer than Sean McVay, Andy Reid, Matt Nagy, a different answer than an offensive-minded head coach because he's a defensive-minded head coach going through a personal crisis. By the way, I'm a huge fan of Ron Rivera. I like him. People say he's very respectful. People say he's a good boss. He makes expectations very, very clear. And when I look at the Washington football team's quarterback situation, with Ron Rivera's quarterback math in mind, I see a very clear and obvious answer to who Ron Rivera's preferred quarterback would be. But first, I want to explain the quarterback situation to you. You can decide, and we can have fun. You can figure out if it's as obvious to you as it is to me, who Ron Rivera's preferred quarterback is. So first of all, you have Dwayne Haskins. He's a second-year quarterback, a former first-round pick. By the way, he was not drafted by Ron Rivera. And last year on film, I did a whole film analysis of Dwayne Haskins. He was very, very inconsistent. And this year, the trouble has continued. He's been inaccurate. He's missing open receivers. He's made bad decisions. He threw three interceptions against the Browns. And there's also questions about his maturity. One example of that is that after losing to the Ravens, apparently he was bragging about how he threw for 300 yards in the game. And people in Washington and that locker room and leadership positions did not like that at all. Now, that's one example of a lot of other things I've seen. I go, I've seen and I've heard, by the way, behind the scenes about Dwayne Haskins and questions about his maturity. By the way, after that Ravens game, Dwayne Haskins was demoted all the way from the starting quarterback down to the third-string quarterback. And at this point, making Dwayne Haskins into a franchise quarterback is a big project. It's going to take a lot of work. A, it's, just going to be, it's a big project if you want to turn Dwayne Haskins from where he is now into a franchise quarterback. Now, I watched the Washington versus L.A. Rams game. Uh, watched the whole game. And by the way, I want to say that Gerald Everett, the tight end for the Rams, oh my gosh, I love what they're doing with him. He is a matchup nightmare for... Not all linebackers, but the majority of linebackers really struggle to guard Gerald Everett. And what was fun about that Rams game is that we got to see both of the other quarterbacks that are in Washington. We got to see Kyle Allen, and we got to also see Alex Smith play. So we'll start with Alex Smith. He's 36 years old, and uh, it was really cool to watch the guy play at all on Sunday. He, you know, I think 690 days, 690-something, like I think 694 or 93 days before that game on Sunday, 
Maybe it's 93, 693. Some crazy amount of days between that game on Sunday and then the last game he'd played before that because he had a horrific, terrible leg injury. Didn't play for like two years. And to come back for that, that's so cool. And I thought that Rams quarterback Jared Goff pointed out something really cool, how special it is that a guy who is 36 years old made millions of dollars in the NFL. He's wealthy. He's aging. He could step away anytime. And he decided instead to fight and do the hard work of coming back to the NFL and getting back on the field. That's an amazing story. I think everybody has a lot of respect for Alex Smith. It's incredible. It's no matter what he does, it's like I just is really cool. The fact he's there at all. It's a big deal. And by the way, it made me tear up. I was watching um, you know, his wife and his three kids on the sideline, you know, I guess in the stands, cheering him on. And I knew that moment was coming because I saw it on Instagram. And despite knowing that was coming, it still made me tear up. I went, oh, this is just a cool, powerful moment. I was like, wow, okay, it's amazing. Now, the reality is, though, that Ron Rivera is not attached to Alex Smith. Because Ron Rivera has a bigger goal, the head coach in Washington. A good story does not impact Ron Rivera's mission. And it's my job to tell you what I see when I watch film and when I watch football games. It's my job to be honest. It's not my job to make fan bases happy. It's not my job to – I try to. Like I, don't, I don't try to hurt anybody's feelings. But the best quarterback on Washington's roster that I've seen is Kyle Allen. He's a boring undrafted quarterback. He's not some crazy physical specimen. He's not a first-round pick. He doesn't have an amazing story. But Kyle Allen executes the Washington offense the best on that roster. He is the best quarterback they have. Now, by the way, I thought it was classy that they let Alex Smith play the rest of the game. You know, Kyle Allen got taken out of the game because he got popped in a helmet-to-helmet hit. And uh, they kept Alex Smith in after Kyle, after, uh, Kyle Allen even was you know, cleared to play more in the game. Washington were losing by a lot, and they decided, hey, there's not much to gain by putting Kyle Allen back in. And so Washington left Alex Smith in the game. They let him have that moment. I think that's really, really cool. I love that. Now, Alex Smith got sacked six times in this game. Now, he's playing Aaron Donald. Aaron Donald's awesome. But the reality is that Alex Smith really struggled in the pocket to get the ball out quickly. There were times where he looked, I, I hate to use the word panicky, but something was going on. I went, Alex Smith doesn't quite have the comfort level he should currently playing the NFL. Now, he might, I think he needs more reps. We'll see how things evolve as time goes on. By the way, it was also raining really hard. That affected the way that Alex Smith threw the ball. That certainly didn't help him. But Kyle Allen, again, ran the offense better than any other quarterback I've seen play quarterback in Washington this year. Now, Washington's only touchdown on Sunday came with Kyle Allen at quarterback. They ran the ball a ton. They were not asking Kyle Allen to do too much. They said, you know, hey, just drive the car. Execute the offense. Don't make mistakes. And Kyle Allen was clean. He was efficient. He took easy completions. He had no dumb turnovers or throws. And by the way, Kyle Allen was with Ron Rivera in Carolina last year, meaning that Ron Rivera is comfortable with him. He's familiar with him. Kyle Allen has ingratiated himself with Ron Rivera and the coaching staff there. Scott Turner is the offensive coordinator in Washington. He came with Ron Rivera from Carolina. So Ron Rivera trusts Kyle Allen a lot. By the way, when Cam Newton got hurt last year, Kyle played. And I believe that Kyle Allen, if you haven't figured out by now, he is Ron Rivera's quarterback. That's Ron Rivera's guy. Now, I am curious as time goes on 
Uh, maybe Alex Smith gets better. Maybe uh, he gets more comfortable. I don't think so. And I think even if it is accurate, he's also 36 years old. And I don't believe that Ron Rivera, I, I, how do I put this? Maybe I'll say it this way. I believe Ron Rivera wants Kyle Allen to be his quarterback. Based on the fact he's a defensive-minded coach going through a crisis, he wants the safe, solid, stable quarterback he can trust. That makes a lot of sense to me. Now, by the way, a different coach might do quarterback math and come up with a different answer. If Sean McVay was a coach of Washington, I think he'd try to fix Dwayne Haskins. He would look at Dwayne Haskins go, he's obviously talented. He's a first-round pick. Let me do the work of helping him grow as a quarterback. I can fix Dwayne Haskins. So Sean McVay might take on the project, but Ron Rivera, all he sees is a immature turnover machine. He does not want to deal with that nonsense. And I, I, it's just a different approach. It's quarterback math. The quarterback math Ron Rivera does gives him a different answer than Sean McVay or Matt Nagy, and then probably also than the fan base would as well. Ron Rivera doesn't care that he was a first-round pick. He's like, I want to win games now and win games moving forward, and he doesn't want to deal with Dwayne Haskins. Now, I'm also not confident in Dwayne Haskins' future. It's really, really hard to overcome immaturity. His mechanics, by the way, are also a mess. He's been super inaccurate. And I will say this. What would interest me is if Bill Belichick traded for Dwayne Haskins. I'd be really curious to watch that. I don't feel that good about Dwayne Haskins in New Orleans with Sean Payton. I, for whatever reason, I just I don't feel good about that. I feel very good about Dwayne Haskins going to the Patriots in a tough scheme where they don't tolerate no nonsense at all either in New England. Uh, Dwayne Haskins would have to grow up fast under Bill Belichick. That'd be really, really fascinating to me. But I want to reiterate, as I look at this Washington quarterback situation, I very much believe that because of who Ron Rivera is, because of what he's going through, because of his desires, quarterback math, his answer, Kyle Allen is the quarterback he wants in Washington. All right. Um, I, we got to go into this. This is just sad news. Dak Prescott, the Dallas Cowboys quarterback, got hurt on Sunday. It's a compound fracture. Also, he dislocated his right ankle, that same compound fracture on his right ankle and a dislocation. And the video was not pretty. His ankle is just like sideways. It's, it's, I don't know. I, by the way, it was cool to see Jason Garrett uh, coaching for the Giants on the other sideline walk over. That's, remember, that's Dak Prescott's former head coach. So Dak is out for the year. And I, that's just horrible, man. I, I like Dak Prescott a lot. It's pretty, I don't really care who you are. It's obvious and it's clear Dak Prescott is a good human being. He's been through a lot. I really, there's a great video of Dak Prescott with Graham Bensinger talking about his life and who he is. And you see some of Dak Prescott's property. And I, I saw that video a couple weeks ago and I was like, just happy for Dak Prescott. I'm like, ah, oh, that's so awesome. And not only because he got injured, but because of what's going to happen next to Dak Prescott, I feel really sad for Dak Prescott. I, I feel kind of heartbroken because, I, I, to be clear, I like Dak. I think Dak's awesome. I think Dak is a – I've been critical of Dak for reasons I stand by, but I, at the end of the day, if you ask me, do you like Dak Prescott or not, yeah, I really like Dak Prescott. And Dak gambled. Now, people offer me gambling sponsorships all the time. 
There's a lot of companies out there, people that have big deals with gambling companies, and I, I don't support gambling. I've turned down the money. I've turned down the opportunities. There is a time and a place to take a risk. Gambling is not that. I, I don't like gambling at all. I will never have that as part of my brand. I'm just not comfortable with it. I don't like it. I've seen gambling ruin people's lives, like lose their house, lose everything. I've seen that firsthand. And I'm not flippant with money, so I, I just I stay away from gambling as a brand, as a company, as a show, everything. I don't want anything to do with it. Now, Dak Prescott gambled, and he lost. If you remember last offseason, Dak was offered a $100 million contract, and he turned it down for some little minutia, like he wanted— one less gear on the deal for the ability to renegotiate all this stuff. And I, I said at the time, that's a bad idea. Like don't turn down a hundred million dollar contract. And now, especially after getting injured, I, I personally, I really wish that Dak had taken that contract. I so badly wish he had that money. I feel so bad for Dak. You got to understand Dak is going to come back at some point. He'll heal from this injury, but what he lost here is he lost all of his leverage in negotiating his contract. And I don't believe he's going to get offered $100 million again. Certainly not by another team. I don't see another, the Carolina Panthers, the Patriots, the Saints, I don't see another team offering Dak Prescott $100 million. And I honestly also don't think Dallas is going to do it either. And so I just feel sad for Dak. He gambled and he lost big time. And it's terrible it's awful. Now, the harsh reality is that this helps the Dallas Cowboys in the short term and in the long term. So in the short term, the pressure's off. They now have Andy Dalton at quarterback. Uh, you know, the new coach, Mike McCarthy, pressure's off. Hey, if you have a bad year, guess what? It's okay. Your quarterback got hurt. And kind of people looking at like, hey, let's see what Andy Dalton can do. Remember, he was a starting quarterback for a long time in Cincinnati. Maybe Andy Dalton can make it happen. Oh, yeah, by the way, Andy Dalton. Led the Cowboys to victory with 52 seconds left in the game. Like, that's not nothing. That's interesting. And Dak Prescott is Jerry Jones' guy. It's kind of like being the owner's son. I don't know how you coach the owner's son. I don't. And that's kind of what Dak is. And I think that causes somewhat of a problem for anybody who coaches for the Dallas Cowboys. So I'm curious how the Cowboys do without Dak Prescott. I think it might actually do better than people realize. Now, long-term, if Dallas decides to give Dak Prescott a long-term contract, they just got a discount. There's no other way to say it other than that. They're not going to have to pay Dak Prescott as much money as they would have before. And for that reason, I feel so very bad for Dak Prescott. He not only got injured, he just lost out on a ton of money. And I don't... I, I, use, I side with the players most of the time. I really want players to get paid. And so the fact that he gambled, turning down a $100 million contract, and then got hurt, losing big time, I, I just feel sad for Dak Prescott. There's no other take other than that. I don't know how you... I, I don't. What I don't understand is people who just hate Dak Prescott. He, he seems like a very good human being, a good person, a good guy with a good heart. Um, and I, I just, I watched what happened on Sunday. The video was horrific. The, there's that video with his leg sticking sideways. P Cowboys players have their hands on their head. Guys are like, a mouth's open. And, and I just, in that moment, 
I felt immediately concerned about his contract, and I felt just bad for Dak Prescott. I feel horrible for him because uh, he gambled and he lost big time. And he also, by the way, got injured. It's just none of it's good, and I feel bad for Dak Prescott, and I, it's not much more to say than that. It's just a terrible, terrible situation for him. Now, I'm going to take a short break. When I return, we're going to talk about Dan Quinn getting fired, the Atlanta Falcons head coach. We'll talk about the Lakers winning an NBA championship. Uh, then later, the Red River rivalry game and the Eiffel Grand Prix at the very end for you F1 people who want it. But if you don't want it, you can skip it because it's buried at the very end of the podcast. Guys, my name is Zach Schaumler. There's good stuff ahead. I'm going to take a short break. I will be right back. All right, we are back. Hope you're doing well. Let's dive in. In case you don't know, the Atlanta Falcons have fired their head coach, Dan Quinn. They also fired their general manager, Thomas Dimitrov. And that's all that after a 0-5 start to their season. And unfortunately, they had to go, especially Dan Quinn, the head coach. Defense is his specialty, and you would literally never know that watching the Atlanta Falcons play football. I mean, horrible coverage, missed assignments, bad tackling, lack of attention to detail, horrible, horrible, horrible defense has been played by the Atlanta Falcons recently, and it's been awful. And then you consider the culture that's been festering in Atlanta, you know, considering the fact that uh, really the reality is that Dan Quinn's tenure as a head coach in the NFL was marked the minute he lost in the Super Bowl to the New England Patriots after having a 28 to three lead in that game. Ever since then, there's been not only a a culture of blowing leads, but it's literally in their heads. It's also always brought up anytime you watch the Falcons play football the broadcasters always, every single time, mention that loss, the 28-3. to It's literally like the go-to thing at the beginning of any introductory um, like kind of interview or any, anything, really. If you, hear, if you ever watch a Falcons game, it's kind of crazy how often that game is mentioned. So it's not just in the broadcasters' heads or in the players' heads or in the coaches' heads. It's in everybody's heads, and it's the culture around the Atlanta Falcons at this point. And then you look at, okay, they lost to the Cowboys this year after being up 29-10. to 10. Or the Bears game where the Falcons were up 26-10. to 10, And halfway through the fourth quarter, they had a 16-point lead and lost the game. Ugh, that's terrible. And I said it before, blowing the lead is in their head where it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. In their heads, they're like, oh, we can't blow this lead. We can't, we can't, we're ahead now in this game. We can't screw up. We can't screw it up. We can't have anything go bad. And the losing culture paired with losing football is why Dan Quinn has been fired. Now, Thomas Dimitrov, I don't think, is a terrible general manager. You can debate that if you want. He did draft some good players. But the Falcons wanted a total, complete reset. I respect that. Fair enough. Now, the Falcons are left with a 38-year-old quarterback. 38? 35. 38. Where did I get 38? The Falcons are left with a 35-year-old quarterback, Matt Ryan. And an aging receiver, Julio Jones, who's been a star in the NFL, but now he's oft injured, and it's things are not great for Julio Jones. And so I have no idea how attractive this job is, because I don't know that they're going to keep Matt Ryan. I don't know if—everything's up in the air right now for the Falcons. It's very interesting. Also, the Falcons' owner came out and said that he's going to have to see— about Matt Ryan's future with the Atlanta Falcons. That's very telling. It's very interesting. 
first of all, I heard that and went, well, if they can if they can draft Trevor Lawrence, they're going to draft Trevor Lawrence in a heartbeat. But also that means that it really kind of depends on whether or not the next head coach wants to keep Matt Ryan around and work with him. So I'm telling you, there are a lot of changes coming up in Atlanta. I'm very curious to see who they hire as their next head coach. Does anybody good want that job even? And then will Matt Ryan, the quarterback, become a trade piece? That's also an interesting factor. There's going to be a lot of quarterback movement, it feels like, in the NFL this offseason. And you would think somebody would want Matt Ryan. I don't know, but it's fascinating to me. He still, I believe, has a couple high-level years left. And so I am telling you, keep your eye on the Atlanta Falcons. There are a lot of moves up ahead in the coming months for them. And keep your eye on the Atlanta Falcons because something is going to happen very, very soon, if not even if it's four months from now, are they going to trade Matt Ryan? What head coach are they going to hire? Where will they be? In the, how bad are they going to be? Are they going to be 0-16 and get Trevor Lawrence? I have no idea. But seismic, seismic changes are coming to the Atlanta Falcons. It seems like the owner wants to have a total reset and rebuild everything from the ground up. And I, I'm telling you, man, it's going to be very, very fascinating to see what happens moving forward in the future with the Atlanta Falcons. All right. Um, the Lakers won game six of the NBA Finals. That makes them the NBA champions. It's the 17th time that the Lakers have won an NBA title. That's kind of crazy to me. By the way, and this is a weird tangent, but I couldn't help but notice, as I'm watching the Lakers win the championship, <laughs> their, their general manager, Rob Polinka looks just like Rob Lowe. Kind of shocking. I was watching going... How did Rob Lowe get into the bubble? Like, how was Rob Lowe in the bubble? How did he get to that moment? I'm like, oh, that's just their general manager, Rob Polinka. How crazy that they look. I mean, if you look at a picture, like, they're actually very, very similar, especially in that moment. You know, there's that moment where, because Rob Polinka's wearing that, the hat, the championship hat, and there's that video of you know, Rob Lowe wearing the NFL hat. And with a hat on like that, they look very, very similar. It's kind of crazy. Now... Uh, I got to say, I'm happy Dwight Howard won a championship. Like, that's really cool, especially in Orlando, kind of crazy and weird. I'm happy that Anthony Davis won a championship. It was cool to see Rajon Rondo win a championship again with LeBron. But we have to talk about LeBron James because, well, uh, I don't I don't have a justification. We have to. I mean, everybody wants me to talk about that, and it's, it's what everyone else is talking about. Um, the world exploded when LeBron won another championship. At least that's how it felt to me. From the messages I got, from what I was seeing on Twitter, there's division everywhere. Michael Jordan people kind of arch their back. They're ready for a fight. And you know the GOAT debate is coming. And I got to be very, very clear. I am so over the GOAT debate. The greatest of all time. I don't care at all. I kind of used to. Now I don't. Like, it doesn't matter. It's not interesting to me. And so I, I have a new solution if you want it. I, I offer this as hopefully a way to bring us together because I, I am tired of the fighting and the bickering and the yelling and the argument, this and that and this and that. How about we just start saying that Michael Jordan is the best player from his generation and LeBron James is the best player from his generation. They played in different generations of the NBA. And I don't know why in order to give love to one player, you have to also give hate to another. Like, why do you have to insult Michael Jordan in order to say something good about LeBron or vice versa? It's weird. 
It doesn't make any sense. It's tribal. It's weird. I don't understand. I don't like it. And I really don't like that you have to pick a side. I I'm never going to pick a side. It doesn't matter. It literally doesn't matter at all. When you look at Michael Jordan and LeBron James, they're just different. It honestly doesn't make any sense to compare them. It really doesn't. You know, Michael Jordan won six championships, all of them in the 90s, all of them with one team. He never changed teams except for after he, quote, retired and went to the Washington Wizards. Like, he won all his championships on one team, Chicago Bulls. And LeBron played in a completely different era of basketball with different rules and different norms. And he, he's now won four championships with three different teams. That's crazy, by the way. And LeBron has been to the finals 10 times. He's four for 10. He's won the finals four times out of four times out of the 10 he's been there. Now, Jordan went six for six. And everybody loves to go, well, Michael Jordan never lost an NBA championship. Well, I will say that it's weird we don't hold the losses Jordan had against him in the Eastern Conference Finals or, you know, the, before that, where many times Michael Jordan lost a playoff game in you know, lost a playoff series, excuse me, in the Eastern Conference. So no one ever holds that against him. Kind of weird to me. And no matter where you lose, if you don't win the final game of the year, you don't win the championship. So that's kind of a hollow, flawed argument to me. I've never quite gotten that. Um, and by the way, both Michael Jordan and LeBron James had great teammates. I mean, they needed, you don't win a championship alone. It just doesn't happen in the NBA. And it didn't happen for Michael Jordan. And it never has happened for LeBron James. It just never did happen. And so beyond all that, I know, I guess I said, I don't want to compare them. And then I just did. So I apologize for that. But again, Michael Jordan was the best player of his generation. And LeBron is clearly the best player of his generation. That's all I need to know. I don't need to have more debate after that. I don't care. If you do, great, have that debate. But I, what I want to do is appreciate LeBron James because I, I really, really like LeBron. LeBron grew up with a single mother and has become incredibly, incredibly wealthy and famous and a big deal. And he's been famous for most of his life, which is an obstacle that nobody talks about. Let me tell you this. The attention that comes with any kind of notoriety is hard to deal with. Getting messages, people that you've never met tagging you in stuff or sending you messages or and LeBron, I, I struggle with it and I'm literally nobody. And LeBron James is one of the most famous human beings on the planet. You're telling me he doesn't hate getting hateful message after hateful message after hateful message. The fact that LeBron James can't go outside of his house, literally, without having reporters and people mob him, that's hard on a human being. I, I am telling you, any kind of fame brings notoriety and notoriety brings attention that's hard to deal with. I cannot imagine being LeBron James. Here's another thing. He's also insanely rich as well as being insanely famous. And I can't think of a moment where we've been, yeah, LeBron screwed up bad. LeBron, that's a bad purchase or that's a, a bad drunken mistake. It doesn't exist out there. I I've talked about this on, I have another podcast with my girlfriend called Flawed Humans. And we talked about Justin Bieber one time and I said like, What's the worst thing Justin Bieber's really done? He was speeding in a Lamborghini in L.A. Like, he's young, he's rich, and he wants to have a good time. Like, I, I have a little bit of grace for a guy like Justin Bieber. And, you know, if I was super rich and young, I don't know what kind of mistakes I would make. I, I honestly have no idea. But I do know that LeBron James doesn't have 
any of those mistakes. You don't need to have grace for LeBron because that moment doesn't exist. He's been an incredibly good, he's a dad, he's a husband, he's a great example. And I, I really, on top of the success he's had as a basketball player and the fact that he's a leader on and off the court, I think LeBron is an impressive human being, if nothing else. And I don't know, man. I, I look at the NBA and how he handled things when he got there. LeBron got to the NBA playing for the Cleveland Cavaliers, had a bad owner, Dan Gilbert, and he wasn't afraid to leave. He left. He went to Miami. He chased his dreams. He won not one but two championships with the Miami Heat. Then LeBron, having won a championship, kind of having that, that free of the burden of wanting to win a ring, went home to Ohio where he grew up. And then he overcame the bad owner in Cleveland and won a championship there over, by the way, one of the best Warriors teams we've ever seen in the NBA. Obstacle after obstacle after obstacle. He won Cleveland a championship. How cool is that? Next after that, LeBron has come to L.A. And he brought the Lakers back to glory. During a time, by the way, in a crisis where the Lakers were dealing with the loss of Kobe Bryant on top of COVID-19. Like, just a, a really hard circumstance to overcome. LeBron has, which is so cool to me. By the way, not to mention COVID-19 again, LeBron overcame COVID. I, I really thought the LA Clippers were going to win the championship this year in the NBA. I was wrong about that. The Clippers fell apart. They lacked leadership. And I honestly think that the Lakers, the, the Clippers, excuse me, Kawhi Leonard and his team couldn't handle the bubble. I think guys lost motivation. They lacked their drive. Kawhi couldn't motivate them and didn't have the motivation to do that. Now, LeBron James, on the other hand, kept his team focused. And in a crazy situation with a lot of stuff going on out in the outside world, LeBron overcame and won a championship. Now, people keep sending me messages. I've gotten this question on Ask Zach multiple times. People are like, hey, does a championship this year in 2020 deserve an asterisk? And I think it should, but not in a negative way. If you have an asterisk, it should say that, hey, by the way, this team overcame a ton of obstacles, social changes, COVID-19, and they still found a way to keep their act together and win games. I, I don't know how you don't look at COVID and go, it's actually more impressive than a normal championship, given all the craziness going on. I think the fact that LeBron kept that team together deserves way more respect than a normal championship. So I don't care about LeBron versus Jordan. It doesn't matter. I do hope people can open up their minds and their hearts a little bit and appreciate LeBron James because, and, and by the way, LeBron just won the NBA Finals MVP in his 17th year. So he's not slowing down either, which is like, he's got a ton of stats already. It's going to be crazy what, where he is positioned in the record books at the end of his career. I, I just, I am so astonished and a great appreciation for LeBron James. But here's another thing, another reason why I have appreciation for LeBron James Watching LeBron leave Cleveland and going to Miami is a moment that I will always be grateful for. I, I'll never meet LeBron. I don't think so, at least. Even, even if the show becomes insane, insanely popular, right? Even the biggest shows in sports, they don't get LeBron James. I don't see any route in my life where I get to shake hands and tell LeBron James thank you to his face. But I want to thank him for his example as a human being because he showed with his actions that it's okay to chase your dreams it's okay to want a better life. It's okay to ha leave a bad situation. 
I've done all those things in my life. And I remember as a kid watching LeBron leave Cleveland, leave a bad situation, go chase a championship, go want a better life, go after his what he wanted, his dreams. And <laughs> watching LeBron do that gave me permission and an example that, yeah, I should chase my dreams. I should leave this crappy situation. It's okay to want, and you can have a better life. And I, I'm so grateful for my, my lot in life. I really, I really am happy. I'm glad I've chased my dreams. I'm glad I have the job I have. I have the coolest job in the world. Um, and I'm so grateful for that. And I, I owe in part that to LeBron James. His example, sports have always been, Tom Brady and LeBron James in my life have always been two figures in the world I look up to with a lot of reverence and a lot of respect. And their examples are one I try to follow because I think when people are incredibly successful, there's a reason for that. It's attention to detail. It's a fear or a lack of fear, I guess, of being yourself and being authentic. And LeBron, dude, he got attacked and killed and murdered and so much anger and vitriol when he left Cleveland to go to Miami. And I looked at that and went, that's awesome. Good for him. Like, go chase your dreams. And I... I have done that in my life, and I try to do that every often opportunity I can. And I, I just a lot of that I owe to LeBron James for his willingness to do that and lead the way. And so, and I, <laughs> thank you, LeBron. Uh, congrats on championship number four. I will never get to meet you, but I, I, I will. I want to say thank you because you've been an incredible impact on my life. And I. I <laughs> Thank you, LeBron. Thank you for the impact you've had. Um, I want to take a short break. I need to, for sure. Um, we're going to talk Texas and Oklahoma in a minute. And then the Eiffel Grand Prix. Again, man, LeBron, I will, I'll never meet you. If you're watching this, thank you so much. I, I, I have no doubt. LeBron will never watch this video. But if he does, um, you've been an incredibly great example. And I, I'm just grateful for that. And I, I, think you, I don't think LeBron gets enough credit for the example he's been for millions and millions and millions of people around our planet, and I just, uh, I'm incredibly grateful for LeBron James. All right, we are back. Now, I watched Texas versus Oklahoma. That's the Red River Showdown. Uh, And by the way, it's crazy. That game has been played 115 times since 1900. That's crazy to me. Now, this year, Oklahoma won 53-45 to in quadruple overtime. That's not one, not two, not three. That's four different overtime periods. And Gus Johnson and Joel Klatt called the game. I love them. They're the two best broadcasters, in my opinion, in college football. Uh, really only rivaled by the NFL broadcasting pair, Jim Nance and Tony Romo. Now, this game was a chaotic, messy, uh, Fun, wild, crazy game to watch. Just one of those weird jam-packed games where I think, I guess really the theme here, though, is that there were just a ton of mistakes made by both sides of the ball on offense, on defense, by Texas, by Oklahoma. Oklahoma fans probably talked a lot of smack after winning the game because I know that's how that rivalry game goes. But the reality is, in my opinion, if you know anything about football, you know that I don't think anybody should talk smack after that game. Uh, I I just, I don't, I almost had a point where I wrote down my notes. I'm like, I don't know that anybody even deserves to win this game based on how bad and poorly and ugly both teams are playing. Now, both teams had three turnovers. Texas had a punt blocked. There were a ton of mistakes, a ton of penalties. Texas had 10 penalties. Oklahoma had 11. Oklahoma had to bench their young quarterback, Spencer Rattler, at one point. 
Uh, I mean, this game should have never even gone to overtime, by the way. Not only did Oklahoma have a interception with five minutes left in the game where Oklahoma, sorry, excuse me, Oklahoma's defense picked off Sam Ellinger with five minutes left in the end zone. So they have five minutes left. They have the ball and a two-score, 14-point lead. But then Oklahoma went on to throw the ball on a third and nine where they should have ran the ball to keep the clock moving because Texas had no timeouts. They couldn't stop the ball. And what happened was by running the ball on a third and nine, Oklahoma left about 40 seconds more on the clock than they needed to. And Texas took the time, and Sam Ellinger took him down the field and scored a touchdown to tie the game and send it to overtime. Now, I want to talk first about Oklahoma's quarterback, Spencer Rattler, because he is insanely talented. He has probably one of the, one of the if not the, best arms in college football. Just arm talent is off the charts. And I really honestly believe that we saw Spencer Rattler grow up a little bit right before our eyes in this game. He got benched for a few series in the first half. And that was kind of a good wake-up call for Spencer Rattler where he realized, I got to stop trying to do so much. If you're an Oklahoma quarterback, you have this incredible Oklahoma offense. You're driving a sports car. Just drive the car down the road. Stop trying to do all this crazy stuff. Execute. Do the simple things. And once Spencer Rattler started doing that, he had a lot of success moving forward in this game. Now, one of the problems early on in the year for Spencer Rattler was he was dropping his eyes down when he was extending plays and looking downfield. You saw this a lot where extending a play, he'd drop his eyes down and just take off and run and miss people open downfield. Now, on that final touchdown by Oklahoma to take the lead and win the game, ultimately, he stepped up, he extended the play, kept his eyes up downfield, found a man for a touchdown, took the lead, won the game. I love that. That felt like progression for me from Spencer Rattler. This was a game that, oh, Texas, man. Texas could not afford to lose this game. Both Texas and Oklahoma are now 2-2. Two and two. And Oklahoma, though, is rebuilding. They lost a lot of key players. They lost their quarterback. They now have a redshirt freshman quarterback starting in Oklahoma. And on the other side, Texas, on the other hand, so Oklahoma, rebuilding. Texas, on the other hand, has a bunch of veteran starters to have a senior quarterback star, Sam Ellinger. And if Oklahoma loses this game on su- on Saturday, excuse me, on Saturday, I guess, not Sunday, on Saturday, if Oklahoma loses the Red River Showdown, nobody would be asking for Lincoln Riley to lose his job in Oklahoma. Nobody, people would go, oh, yeah, okay, like that's a tough loss, but sure, you're Lincoln Riley, you're fine. Now, at Texas, they want Tom Herman fired. They want to get rid of the guy. And I wouldn't fire Tom Herman. I like him. I think he's, he's done a good job at Texas so far. And Texas keeps going through coaches like they're lighting a box of matches. They light it. They go, ah, the fizzle's out. We don't like that one. Uh, Next one up. Like they just, it's like a stick of gum or something. They just go through them like crazy. And when you also consider the fact that any college football coach this year is dealing with COVID, I, I look at that and go, I have a little bit of patience and a little bit of grace for Tom Herman, the coach of Texas. I go, okay, if you're a Texas fan, I get that you're angry, and I totally understand, but I wouldn't fire Tom Herman. And by the way, the the season is only four years old, by the way, so or four games old, by the way. So it's we're four games in. Let's see how the rest of the year goes before you go crazy and fire the guy. Now, and by the way, and also, past accomplishments should matter. Like, what you've done in the past, I remember, I'll never forget Sam Ellinger when they beat Georgia in their bowl game, was it two years ago maybe? I just was like, oh, that's awesome. Good for them. So with that said, 
the number of mistakes that Texas made on Saturday, I think I've said Sunday a couple times, I meant Saturday, the number of excuses can't happen. You cannot have that many turnovers, penalties, blown assignments. That falls on coaching. And so if you're a Texas booster donating money or helping make decisions behind the scenes, I would say the leash got a little bit shorter, but I would not fire Tom Herman. As of right now, I keep Tom Herman as my head coach. Now, Sam Ellinger, the quarterback for Texas, number one, love this dude. I love, love, love Sam Ellinger. He might be the most Texas person I've ever seen. I mean, if I was designing a human being, like in a lab, to star in a cowboy spaghetti western, the guy you designed is Sam Ellinger. Sam Ellinger. He has the look. He has the vibe, the moxie. I remember they were when Texas didn't get it on the third and nine. They throw the ball. They they go to Tam, Sam Ellinger. He just smiles all confident. I'm like, man, this dude is gonna score a touchdown. I just knew it in that moment. And I love Sam's moxie, his leadership. He made so many key plays down the stretch for Texas in this game. I like the guy a lot. And. He's going to get a shot in the NFL. I would want to coach him. I, uh, working with him, a guy with his leadership, with his mental fortitude, I think, yeah, that's the kind of guy I want in my locker room. And as a runner, Sam left everything on the field on Saturday. But I will say that there were not one, not two, but multiple NFL throws in the tight windows that Sam missed. And from an NFL perspective, you go, you win the game easily if you hit those throws. I mean, that, those are throws on film. You go, that's got to be made. I remember there's one in particular down like a skinny post to a receiver. He just overshot it. The guy's open by, in the NFL by quite a bit. And that's, I mean, it's not wide open, but in the NFL, that's open by a lot. And you got to make that throw. And Sam Ellinger didn't make that throw. And that happened a couple times for Sam Ellinger. So I, ah, we'll see. I'm really excited and curious to see how Sam Ellinger does. I think he's like a third or fourth round draft pick in the NFL right now. Um, But somebody's going to want him. Somebody looks at him and his leadership and who he is and says, I can coach that kid up and make him into a good quarterback. So um, it'll be really interesting to me to see what happens to Sam Ellinger in the NFL draft. Now, I also want to share kind of the roller coaster of a game this was, the emotional roller coaster, because you you saw Oklahoma's quarterback Spencer Rattler get benched. And when that happened, I lost all confidence in Oklahoma. There was a moment where Oklahoma had a tie game late in the second half, and I went, I don't know that they can they can win. Like, I think it was 17-17 at halftime, I believe. I hope I'm right. I guess that would be, yeah, because then 31-31 at the end of or at the end of regulation. So, yeah, it was 17-17 at halftime, and I was like, if Spencer Rattler comes back, I don't know that I have confidence he can do the job here. And then later there was a moment where the game also felt hopeless for Texas, where I, I cannot believe this game went to overtime. It's kind of crazy how many opportunities Texas was given down the stretch at the end of this game. With five minutes and two seconds left in the fourth quarter, Sam Ellinger threw an interception in the end zone on a fade. Oklahoma picks him off. And then you have realized, okay, Oklahoma has the ball with five minutes left and a 14-point lead. How does the game go to overtime? And yet it still did because of Oklahoma's game management mistakes that I thought are really, really weird to me. Now, here's how overtime went. In overtime number one, you had Texas got a touchdown, then Oklahoma scored a touchdown. In overtime number two, on fourth and goal, 
Oklahoma had a touchdown. Texas responds. They get a touchdown. And overtime number three, Texas has their field goal blocked. And you're like, oh, my gosh. Oklahoma's going to win. Oklahoma has this incredible kicker, uh, Gabe Burkich, who is like literally an all-American kicker. He never misses. And you're like, this is an easy chip shot. Field goal, uh, field goal. Like, there's no way Oklahoma doesn't win this game if they don't score a touchdown first. And Oklahoma, I think they kicked on like second or third down. I mean, they really, they were not waiting. This, they got it in, into position, got the ball in the middle of the field. They're really close. It was like a, like a chip shot, thirty yard field goal, maybe even closer than that. I can't remember. And Gabe Burkich literally shanks the worst kick he's ever had is in in his entire life. And you're like. How do you miss that? I don't I, – I go back to – this is why I say nobody deserved to win this game on Saturday. Both sides made really bad, critical, embarrassing, shameful mistakes. Now, in overtime number four, Oklahoma scored a touchdown. They also got the two-point conversion. And then Sam Ellinger threw the game-ending interception for Texas. It was just a – this game was a chaotic, crazy, messy, fun football game. And I guess that's the Red River Showdown. I mean, I, maybe the Red River Shootout is what they call it as well. I, I had a good time. I've never, I, I've watched these games. I've never watched understanding the gravity of this rivalry before, and I had a great time. I really, um, they put on a messy, ugly show for football. If you're like a football nerd, but I, I had a blast, man. The, the roller coaster as a fan was a great time, and uh, I'm just glad we had two good broadcasters, Gus Johnson and Joel Klatt, broadcasting the game. I, Red River Showdown, crazy fun time, and uh, in the end, Oklahoma won, but just barely. And I hope that down the stretch, man, both of these teams are 2-2. Two and two. I would love to see them both do well moving forward and end up playing in the Big, Ten cha- uh, Big 12 championship. I think that'd be really, really cool. I want a rematch between Texas and Oklahoma as they both get better. I think, I think Oklahoma's going uh, to get better with Spencer Rattler. I'm sure Texas is going to clean up their mistakes, I would hope, because uh, I like Tom Herman as a coach. And I want to see these two teams play each other again. I think it'd be awesome if we could have that happen. I don't know how that happens, but it's 2020. A lot of other teams could lose a bunch, and we'll see how it goes. So um, keep your eyes peeled for Oklahoma and Texas. I hope they rematch. I don't know that we'll get that, but how cool and crazy would that be if, in fact, we got to see Red River Showdown 2.0 in 2020? I don't think we will. We did last year, though, and that was pretty cool. So I hope we do again this year. I'd love to see that. And uh, I want to see them play each other again down the road as those two teams get better and better throughout the course of this year. Now, i got to end the show this way. If you're a Formula One fan, congratulations, you made it. If you hate F1, I love you. No worry. Hope you have a great day. Uh, feel free to turn this off. We're going to talk about F1 and the Eiffel Grand Prix. So on Sunday, we had the Eiffel Grand Prix at Nürburgring, and Lewis Hamilton won. Not a shocker. That actually tied the record for the most race wins in Formula 1 history with Michael Schumacher. So 91 times Michael Schumacher and Lewis Hamilton have won races in F1. Michael Schumacher's retired. He's not going to get any more. Lewis is poised to pass that probably maybe even next race. I mean, he's going to likely win the world title, the, what do you call it, the the driver's championship. He's also going to probably win. I'd be surprised if he didn't win the very next race and already get his 92nd win. So um, I, I, 
the the excitement wasn't there for me. I got a lot of messages saying I couldn't believe when it happened, and I was kind of like, "What's it? What's the thing that happened?" And I realized, oh, they're talking about Lewis Hamilton winning his 91st race, and it's kind of cool. But again, if you do the math, you look at the rest of the year, you go, "He's going to break this record." I knew that. You would have known that a month and a half ago, at the beginning of the year. You look at yeah. There's no way Lewis Hamilton wasn't going to break this record. So I wasn't deeply moved, but I was. Um, it's kind of an eye opening realization when you go, wow, Lewis Hamilton is just utterly dominant. We already knew that, but this is another example of just how exactly how dominant he is in Formula One. Now, five people had to retire or did not finish this race. Uh, George Russell, Russell crashed after Kimi Raikkonen ran into him. I thought that was Kimi Raikkonen's fault. The FIA did agree. You know, Kimi Raikkonen kept racing in the race. I thought he didn't give George Russell enough room. The FIA gave him a 10-second penalty as he continued on with the race. George Russell did not finish because of that. Four other drivers had engine problems where Lando Norris's McLaren didn't work. Uh, Alex Albon for Red Bull had to retire. Esteban Ocon for Renault had to retire. And surprisingly, Valtteri Bottas had to retire for Mercedes. And I realized something on Sunday— I have been massively underselling a potential matchup we have coming up in the future in Formula One. I don't know how I missed it. It's pretty obvious to me that Lewis Hamilton is going to win the Drivers' Championship. But the question I haven't been asking enough is, who's going to get second? Valtteri Bottas or Max Verstappen? Valtteri Bottas has 161 points right now in F1. Max Verstappen has 147. And... On Sunday at Nürburgring, Red Bull was keeping up with Mercedes. At times, Red Bull was actually outpacing Mercedes. So I have confidence that Max Verstappen could actually finish second this year in F1. It'd be crazy. It'd be cool. It'd be interesting. Uh, we have six races left. It'd be fun to see. I, I like Max Verstappen. I, I think he's interesting and a fun racer. So we will see what happens in the race for second in the Drivers' Championship. Now, Daniel Ricciardo got a podium. On Sunday for Renault, uh, he got third place. You know, that's huge for him and huge for Renault. He hasn't gotten a podium since joining Renault at all. Uh, I think it's the first podium for them in like nine years or some crazy. It's like it's been a long time since they did that. Maybe maybe it's – I can't be nine. If I, there's no way it can be nine years. Maybe it's nine years since they got a podium at Nürburgring. Is it really nine years since Renault got a podium? I hope I'm wrong. Like that better be wrong. I, I'm going to do some fact-checking. I will – I'm not going to put it in the comments. I just, I don't. Maybe I'll put it in the breakout comments, but I I looked that up. I, I'm curious. I think that's true, and I don't know, but I know that this is the best we've seen Daniel Ricciardo look since joining Renault, and it's kind of sad he's leaving because Renault and Daniel Ricciardo have made so much progress together, and I know he's a fan favorite, but it's, I feel like he's really figuring things out at Renault, and right as I figure things out, he's leaving for McLaren. It's kind of sad and unfortunate. It's also funny, by the way, team principal uh, for Renault, Cyril, a guy I really like. I'm going to say his first name. I can't even say his last name. I'm not French. I'm an idiot. Can't say it. Uh, he is going to get a tattoo of Ricardo's choice after uh, the podium. They had a bet between the two of them. I think that's good motivation by a team boss. I really like that. I like Cyril. He's on, if you watch Drive to Survive on Netflix, he's a, a, a big figure in that show. And uh, I really like him. And I think that's a smart move. That bet, no one's really talked about this part of the bet is that Daniel Ricardo has money. Uh, he wants to like he's he's a hungry dude. He wants to win, but little motivation like that, like hey, Daniel's a, a fun, joking kind of guy. And that's from Cyril. From your perspective, looking at Renault, if you're like a boss looking down at Cyril, you go, 
Cyril, that's great motivation to get the best out of your driver. And uh, I think that's really, really cool. I like that moment. Now, uh, it was also cool to see Renault pass a Ferrari. I am sure that uh, Renault, from an optics perspective, as a car manufacturer, went, yeah, we're passing a Ferrari. What's up, Ferrari? And by the way, that marketing does work. I was at Costco the other day. Um, and I, I bought a case of Red Bull because I like Max Verstappen. I needed energy drinks. Uh, buying in bulk saves you money long term. And I, I went. I looked at all the other options and went. You know what? I'm buying Red Bull because of Max Verstappen and the F1 team. And I did. It really. So this marketing really does work. And so I'm happy for Renault that passing Ferrari. I hope that moment is one that they they share that 10 second clip a bunch on social media and say, Yeah, well Renault, we build cars and we're not half bad. Now. Daniel Ricciardo now has a strong hold on fourth place in the Drivers' Championship in F1. He's 10 points ahead of Sergio Perez, who's in fifth place. And the battle for third in the Constructors' Championship, the team race, is heating up. I want to show you this. Uh, Mercedes is in first. They have 391 points. They're going to win. It's pretty clear and obvious. Unless, like, all their cars explode and they can't do anything, they're going to win. So Mercedes will win. Red Bull's in second. They have 211 points. Here's the battle for third place in F1. You have Racing Point with 120 points, McLaren with 116 points, and Renault with 114 points. Racing Point, McLaren, Renault. Just back-to-back-to-back, all three in a row, really, really tight-knit. And then you have Ferrari in sixth with 80 points. Not 100 points, the lowly, lowly 80 points. So Ferrari is 34 points behind Renault. They could win the next race and still be in sixth place. That's crazy to me. Like, that's so, so bad for Ferrari. They really struggled to even pass a Haas in this race at the end of the race. I went, oh, man. So I, Ferrari's just awful. And by the way, uh, Haas is driving with a Ferrari engine. I mean, the, the fact that they're struggling to pass even that, that other team. Ferrari's in bad, bad shape. Now, the final thing to say is that Nico Hulkenberg was incredibly impressive on Sunday. He woke up on Saturday morning, did not know he was going to be racing. Got a call because Lance Stroll, the driver for Racing Point, got sick. Not COVID-19, apparently. Uh, literally sounded like food poisoning, actually, the way his symptoms were to being described. So Racing Point called Hulkenberg to fill in. No practice. He gets in the car. He just qualifies with no practice, literally qualifies last, which is it's hard to hold that against him with no practice. Then on Sunday, he starts the race in last, that's 20th place, and finishes in the points in 8th place. How crazy is that? Starts last, finishes in 8th. No practice, barely drove the car at all. And I just, I watch this and wonder, how is Nico Hulkenberg not signed to a team in F1? It makes no sense to me. I don't understand it. Nico Hulkenberg deserves a seat in F1. It's just so obvious to me. He's a great driver. He's better than many people who drive for F1. I just, I don't get it. It's crazy to me. He doesn't have a drive. Uh, I, I mean, if you put him with Max Verstappen at Red Bull, I'd love to see that. What would happen there? I don't know. But something. Nico Hulkenberg should be in F1. And the fact that some of the drivers driving, Nicholas Latifi, Roman Grosjean, how did they have a drive? And Nico Hulkenberg does not. It makes no sense to me. Um, and I, I know that Haas is looking for drivers. Um, I, I hope they don't get Nico Hulkenberg. Like, Nico Hulkenberg deserves better. I'm telling you. What would happen if you replace Alex Albin with Nico Hulkenberg? 
No, he's got to get along with Max. Max is a clear number one there. Stay out of the way, Max. We're sapping. But if you can, can, can Nico Hulkamer get a good team for once in his life? I, I, I just, the guy's got to be an F1. It's a crazy travesty that he's not, and it makes no sense to me. So Nico Hulkenberg has please got to be brought back to F1 to be a driver. It doesn't make sense. He doesn't have a drive, and uh, it's a terrible, terrible tragedy. Guys, that's all I have. Thank you so very much. I'm honestly, I'm excited to go watch the Saints and the Chargers right now. I um, I, I don't know. I, I want to watch the game. I haven't seen any of it yet. And uh, I did check my phone as I predicted. Justin Herbert's doing very, very well. So, um, yeah, I'm going to I'm gonna go watch the game. Hope you have a great night. We'll talk about Justin Herbert tomorrow. And I love you guys so much. I really appreciate you. Have a great day. Bam, we are done.